Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to Wednesday Night Oasis for February 16th, 2021. We are uh, almost through February. I hope everyone had an amazing Valentine's Day and all is well. I hope everyone finds themselves healthy today. We are in part six of this eight-part series titled Dumb Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And uh, open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Now in this series, uh, we said that the, the key to this is really not how to make the dumb mistakes because we're probably pretty good at that. If you're like me, uh, you don't need training in that. It's how to avoid them is the part that we need to, to look into. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at people in the Bible and the dumb mistakes that they have made and uh, God's principles concerning that and then the outcome of what happened to them. So we kind of gave you a little background and we gave you the mistake and then we gave you the principle and then give you the... the uh, outcome of what happened at the end. And uh, our, our hope is that by looking at this, by studying this, you and I can learn from other people's dumb mistakes. Let's just put it that way. We, we said in this series that there are three ways that people really learn. One of them is by reading books and, and doing that kind of study. The other one is by le living it out. For themselves, you know, going through things over and over again until you finally get it. And then the third way was by learning by other people's mistakes and seeing what happened with them. And and uh, we, we said that that's probably the best way to learn because that's the least painful when you learn from what other people are have done and how God dealt with them. Now, uh, mistake number one in this series was a failure to fear God. And today, we're, ch we're changing it up to all the way now to, to part six. And uh, today in Acts chapter two, we're talking about a topic that's not only a game changer, but it's a life changer. Uh, and if it, the way it will change our lives is if we can get it down deep inside. Now, I know that sounds pretty dramatic, but not only is it, uh, it, it, it's not dramatic, it's reality. It could change your life. It's changed uh, my life when I found out this and realized this and got it down deep inside. Um, so I'm anxious to talk to you about it, and I'll tell you what dumb mistake number six is as we, as we move through this. Turn with me. Uh, because I want to give you a little background first on Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Go to verse 41. Uh, here's, what, here's what was happening. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to the numbers that day. Now, Peter's the guy that we're talking about, and we're talking about here that he was famous for messing up. He spoke without thinking. He just 
acted on impulse. Here was a guy who was a, um, in those days seen as a, as a dumb fisherman who couldn't get out of his own way. And he was a guy that had no education. He didn't, uh, you know, uh, didn't study at all and didn't learn. All he cared about was how to catch fish because that was his livelihood. And so we're going to see today the secret to wait what made Peter change in his life. Because you're going to see where here is a guy who lived somewhat in part of his life in fear and then became bold and courageous in it. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus talking to them, and Peter um, <clears throat> finds himself in a place where he's has this transforming force that's present, and it's called the Holy Spirit that comes into his life. Now here's the good news. That same spirit that rose, that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that Peter had come on him, lives in you and me today. Now, he spoke this powerful message boldly in this book of Acts, and 3,000 people were saved. They say that 3,000 people were saved, but the reality of it, is that they know that it was much more than that. It was 3,000 men were saved, but they think with the wives and children, it could have been 12, 15,000 uh, people were saved. Now in Acts 2, verse 22 through 24, you're going to see something happen that is pretty interesting. Verse 22, fellow Israelites listening, listening to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God deliberately, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, this is not something that happened because you were so brilliant. God did this. And you will help, you, the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep it hold on him. You see, here he's, Peter's speaking to them, and he's saying, you know, this guy who's done signs and wonders, who's here by God, who is uh, the God of gods, he's the Lord himself, and you were a vehicle of the devil by putting him to death, by helping them to put him to death. You did that. Now, you have to know that there was a chance here that this message from Peter was not going to be met 
with uh, uh, roses and kisses because he's telling the people who are hearing that uh, you killed him. <clears throat> you were a part of that. You were a pawn. You were a pawn, and God knew it all the time, and you just went with the world, went with the, the way the culture was going. So the transformation gospel message is this. Christ died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And for those in Christ, eternity begins today. That's the message. You're going to hear more of that when we get to the Easter time and we start talking about that. You think that, well, Easter, that's a long time away. No, it's April 4th. So it's it's uh, coming up faster than you know. It'll be here in a, in a blink of an eye. So Peter delivers this message. And the people hear this and they receive that. And they want to know, what should we do? What do we do now, Peter? Uh, Acts 2, verse 38 and 39. Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says this, that's really important. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. You see... Peter says that when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for those people who are living at that time. It was for the people far off as well who do this. Well, I, I think you and I qualify as the far off people and your grandkids and great grandkids and everyone until Jesus comes again. Uh, all fits in that category. So 3,000 people that day were saved and baptized. Verse 42, Acts 2, verse 42. Here's what they did after they were saved and baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the early church, um, what they did in the early church was, was four things. They taught the word of God. They had fellowship. They, they uh, lived life together. They shared and cared for one another, you know, that kind of thing. They, uh, they had communion together. And they prayed. Now, let's think about that just for a minute. Because remember how I said we have to look at our lives today. Let's think about our church for a minute. We teach the word of God. We have fellowship. We, we do life together. We're in contact with each other. People pray together. They do that stuff. They share and care for one another. We have communion every week. We do that every week. Not because we're trying to um, t 
take up some time in the service so that it's not over in five minutes, it's because it's a central part, because it's a remembrance of why we were why we're even there. And we do that every week and never should be taken lightly. And then the fourth thing we do is we pray. We're people of prayer. Uh, very often you will receive a text or, or receive something from me or uh, in a communication somehow how these are the things that we need to pray about, that something is going on in the church family, and everyone begins to pray about it. And we're, we're trying to continue to do that, and we encourage people to pray on a daily basis, to learn on a daily basis, to grow in a daily basis. On Sunday morning, we're talking about growing closer to God in our relationship with Him um, this year. And where next week is going to be the last message in the series. <clears throat> but in that, we've talked about how do we grow in our relationship with them? How do we grow closer? And these are the keys. These things are the keys to cause helping us do that. So um, here's the thing. Recent studies show that our culture today and these are scientific studies, uh, uh, surveys, and that type of thing. Um, that the main thing that people look for in a church today is how quickly they could get in and get out. Can you believe that? That is the main thing that people surveyed wanted to know. Does the church service start on time? Do they... Uh, play one song and is the preacher done in 15 minutes so that we can get out of there? Well, I'll just tell you that, uh, you know, worship is not done in one song. I mean, we can sing one song to God and worship Him, yes. But if we're setting time aside, if we're separating the day and we're saying, this is the time that we're going to spend with him, then it shouldn't be um, a five-minute presentation. The, the The Word of God is something, if you belong somewhere and they're preaching the Word to you and it takes 15 minutes, um, good, because that's not what God is. So, here's the thing. It's not about how fast we, because look at the first church, look at the church, 2, verses 43 through 45. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Performed by who? The apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who needed, who had need. Now, I want to remember that this happened uh, a few months after Christ had died. Jerusalem is exploding with people because the Jews are there for Passover. Now, they think that there were about 3 million people in the city and uh, the freeway hadn't been built yet. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't easy to get around. 
There weren't restaurants. McDonald's hadn't come in yet. And so there wasn't restaurants at every corner with drive-throughs. The hotels, uh, Motel 6 was not around yet. So there weren't a lot of places to stay. And here are people who are there. Um, uh, Bank of America had not come in yet, or Wells Fargo. Uh, you, there, there was no banks and no ATMs available for people to get cash. So here people are. They're on a journey that was supposed to take them um, two or three days, and now they've been there for three months. So what do you do? Now, Christians who are around there are looking at this, they're looking at other Christians, and they're saying, I have resources and they don't. They need help. So I sell what I have to give it to them so that they can stay and be a part with us more. And I know that that uh, uh, when we hear that, we go, wow, that's that's really something that they would do that. It makes me a little uncomfortable. So here's what I'm telling you today. As you're hearing this message, I'm not telling you to sell everything you have and give it to someone else. Um, here's what I am saying. I'm saying that their spirit of giving and sharing with others was involved in this church, in what was happening. They were sharing and caring for another. They were breaking bread together, eating together. They were uh, having fellowship together. They were learning together. Um, some of you may not know this, but if you're watching from far away at our church, uh, after church is over, uh, whoever wants to go, whatever people want to go, there's group of people who get together and go out to lunch and everyone is invited and you're invited wherever you're at if you have a group of people with you uh, watch church go to church with us and then go out to lunch every somewhere and just have fellowship with people it's encouraged to do that um, and that's what they did here so um, here's what you should know. The New Testament introduces a new type of love to us. And it's described as a godly love. It's, it's, a, it's known as a word agape love. Now, uh, not and, and just to be normal, uh, to be normal, well, just to, to get it through, it's an unconditional love. It's a love of others before yourself. And um, Jesus presents that to us. God wants us to have that type of love. And, uh, but here's what could happen. Uh, when you put others before you, there's opportunities to be disappointed. And if you're not careful, um, as you get older, you can find yourself moving to a place where after giving of yourself to others, if you're not in the right mind, if you're not thinking the right way, you can become bitter. Um, your passion for service becomes maybe anger, you know, 
oh, there's other people that can do this. I'm always doing this. It, it makes me bitter. Why do I have to do everything? Can you imagine being like that? I can imagine being like that. If I'm not of the right thinking, I could turn anything into something about me. The older I get, the more I realize something. I have very little control over anything. And God has total control over everything. God is in control, and I am not. I like that, and I don't like that. Because who likes to turn control over to anyone else? I want to be in control. You see, the faster I realize that I'm not in control, the faster I can focus on what I'm supposed to focus on. That's obedience to God. God is calling me to do something. He's calling you to do something. And the more I focus on being obedient to that, the less I have to focus on things that I have no control over. You know, uh, I realize that my job is not to grow the church because that's God's job. My job is to make the invisible God visible and speak the word boldly. That's, that's, the, that's the job of, of, really, let me just say this. That's the job of all of us as Christ followers. It's my job as the pastor of the church, but it's your job as a follower of Christ to not convert people. God is the converter of people. Our job is to make the invisible God visible to others by speaking his word boldly. You get that? Dumb mistake number six comes to us in Acts chapter five. Now, you're going to meet a couple named uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You like those names? Ananias and Sapphira. They're not the backup singers for the Supremes. You know what I'm saying? These are these are real. This is a couple. And um, their relationship is not the role you want in a relationship. You're going to see that. Because um, here's what you're going to notice. Um, the message is really pretty simple that we're going to see here. And it comes with uh, evangelizing others. It comes with this business of doing that. Now, here's what you should know. I'm a slob just like you are. Uh, all of us, uh, God has to change, right? He has to change our lives. We talked last week on Sunday about being pruned, pruning. If you haven't seen that message, go back and watch that because it, it's... It's real, and it might explain some things that you're dealing with in your life, and it will set you free if you allow it to. So dumb mistake number five is mistaking um, stewardship and ownership. We think we own everything when really we're just the managers of everything that we've been entrusted with. 
look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So let's put some value to this just so just so that we can kind of understand what's going on. Um, they sold some land for $100. Ananias comes to Peter and says, uh, we want to give you all of the proceeds from our sale. Here's 50 bucks. That's what happened, right? So that's how it works. Let's just pretend that, right? So they sold some land for 100 bucks. He goes to Peter and says, here's all the money from the sale. Here's 50 bucks. Verse 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Here's the thing. Here's what Peter's saying. Ananias, why are you doing this? It's your money anyway. Why would you come to me, come to God, and say, I sold this land, and here are all the proceeds? Why? You know, the gift would have been acceptable if you would have said, I sold some land, here's some money from the sale, here's 50 bucks. It would have been praise the Lord, thank you for that gift. But instead of doing that, you wanted to present it as if it was all the money, and then the good work that you'd done was thrown out the window because it was accompanied by a lie. Uh, maybe they saw people being generous around them, and Ananias and Sapphira says, wow, these people are giving all that they have. We don't feel comfortable doing that. But let's just say that we're giving all we have and keep part of it back for ourselves. You know, then we can be lifted up and exalted just like everyone else is for doing a good, good deeds. And let me tell you something. It was a mistake. And the mistake number uh, uh, six is mistaking control for ownership. It's this mistake of thinking that we own everything. Now, if you can get this down deep inside, it's life-changing. It was for Shirley and I, and it's, many, it's, it's true for many Christ followers today. People confuse possession with ownership. God puts it in our possession. And whenever I talk about this, people think, well, he's talking about money. Money is certainly a part of that, but it is not all of that. What we're talking about, God gives us possessions. He gives us time. He gives us talents. And he gives us treasures. And those treasures are 
are a lot of times our resources to do things with. Now, he hasn't relinquished ownership of those things. We are the managers of the resources he's entrusted us with. Now, we call that, uh, in the Christian world, stewardship. You're the manager of the things that God has given you. We all know the story. I encourage you to go look for it in Matthew, where it's talked about the rich owner giving uh, the, uh, the people that work for him money to manage for him. And so you should go and, and look for that story. Now, um, time is part of this. How do you spend your time? Uh, do you think you're accountable for spending time with God? Uh, you are. How about your talents? Are you blessed with a certain talent? Um, he didn't bless everyone with the same talents. And the talents you've been blessed with are for your use, but it is also used to bless others who don't have those talents. And the talents that they have that you don't have is used to bless you because you can't do those things. So here's what happens with Ananias. Um, because now he's gone and he's lied. Uh, Acts 5, verse 5 through 10. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Wait a minute. Let's start that again because I don't know if that's right. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Now, that's kind of amazing because, listen, I say something, and uh, ten minutes later, people are talking about it with each other and sharing it and saying, you do hear what Andy said? See, that, But now this is three hours later, and they hadn't heard it yet, uh, or, or she hadn't heard it yet. Um, verse 8, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And what does she say? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now look, uh, look at what what is said in verse 11 because it's the same thing that was said back in verse 5. Let's look at that. Verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, 
let's pick on a church for a minute. There's a big mega church um, called the Church of I'm Okay, You're Okay. You've heard of that church, right? It's the Church of I'm Okay, You're Okay. We know God announced uh, that next next Sunday, everyone who is a hypocrite will fall down and die if they are at church. Now, my thought is that the parking problem at that church is resolved because no one's going to come to it. Uh, you would say, uh, but God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't kill hypocrites. Now, uh, I know that he doesn't work that way now, but I know um, that in the body of Christ, that the Lord is concerned about lying, about sin in the church, sin in the body. Uh, Matthew 18, it says, um, I want to deal with the sin problem. So here's what happens. Um, we have a lot of bad kids in this world because we have terrible parents. I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a poster boy for love, aren't I? Uh, we have a lot of bad kids in this world because of terrible parents. We have a lot of goofy Christians in this world because of some terrible churches and their teachings. Listen, I'm not presenting this as we are perfect because we're, we're far from perfect. But we're dedicated to God's word and we're doing our best to preach that word infallibly every week. See, one mistake churches make is not dealing with sin when the church is confronted with it. God tells us what to do. If someone sins against you, go to them. If that doesn't work, two people need to go to them and confront them about it. If that doesn't work, then in those rare times, what happens is you bring it in front of the church. I hope that never happens at that point. Usually the person who is doing the wrong thing is confronted once and they get really uh, angry and, and upset and bitter because you're telling them something that they're doing wrong and they don't want to hear, even when you're doing it in love. And then if that doesn't work, you go with two people and do the same thing. By that time, they go, hey, the problem is you and not me, and I'm not coming back. That's how it works. But in those rare occasions, if they do come back, and then uh, they're continually, continually sinning against God and against the church, then they're brought in front of the congregation, and, and that's how God has laid the system out. See, God is not acting suddenly without accountability for uh, Ananias and Sapphira's behavior. He's not doing it out of anger or irritation. The, the point is 
that God cares about sin. The result of sin is that they lost control of what they wanted so desperately. Turn to the Gospel of Luke for a second. We're going to go over to Luke chapter 9. Let's look at verses 18 and 20. 18 through 20. Here's, here's what it says. Once when Jesus was praying in private, because he did that, he prayed in private as well as collectively with everybody, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, and still others, um, that one of the prophets of long ago who has come back to life. And then Jesus asked a question, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. If you look at the different versions of the Bible, that answer comes in a different way, but it's the same meaning. The most important question you will ever be asked to answer in your life is when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter gives the right answer, God's Messiah. And then Jesus talks about what life is going to be like. It, it comes to us in verse 22, Luke 9, 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised again. Jesus will suffer for the sins of man, but will conquer that sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's what he's saying. Verse 23. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny himself and take their cross daily, take up their cross daily, and follow me. He says that same thing to every one of us. See, it shows us that this business of following Christ, that there is a surrender that comes with it. That when I follow Christ, I need to surrender something with it. It means denying myself that and picking up what he has for me. It's not like um, giving up spinach for Lent, giving up something I don't like something I'm willing to give up for God. It, it's not that at all. It means surrendering my will for God's will in my life. There's an old song that they used to sing in churches. Some of you may never have heard of it, but it, it, many of you have. And it goes, uh, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Remember that? All to Jesus. You know that song, right? Uh, now, if I'm saying that, 
And this is the day hypocrites are dying. I'd be a little scared. Because I'm singing that song to God. And I'm not willing to surrender all to him. Then I'm lying to God. Really? Really? What are you doing? You see, it isn't that I don't want to surrender all to Jesus, but I know that I'm going to mess up on this because I mess up and you mess up. And I know that because the minute I get on the freeway and someone cuts me off, I don't sing all to Jesus I surrender. Um, You get what I'm saying, right? Then it says this, uh, as to say, do you get my point? That's what's being said here. It comes to us in Luke 23. Look at, let's look at that again. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He's talking about dying to our will and living in his will. Verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is the idea of the person who has it all. You know what I'm talking about, someone who has everything. But it's not going to do them any good because it's all going to burn away eventually. The mistake is I confuse control for ownership. The result is that these things that I want so desperately, I ultimately love. The principle is that Christ expects to be first in our lives. I know that this is not earth shattering for anyone. And I know that for some of you hearing this, you go, well, I know this, but uh, do you know this to the point where you're living this? Because I think that I'm living this, but sometimes I know that I'm not. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 22. We're going to look at this, and then I'm done. Can you believe that? Then I'm done. The Pharisees went out to lay plans to trap him, to trap Jesus. And they sent their disciples out with the Herodians. Now, here's what you should know. We read that and go, okay, well, so they got together with the Herodians. No, here's what you should know. The Pharisees are righteous. The Herodians aren't. They were arch enemies. They were against each other. They hated each other. These two groups would be anywhere but together but they have a common problem. They have something that they both hate more, and it's Jesus. And so they come together against Jesus because they hate him more than each other. They decide they're going to trap Jesus. Matthew 22, verses 16 through 21. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. See, they're 
They're baiting him. And that you teach the way of God in accordance w with the truth. You aren't um, swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. So you know it's not going well for you when Jesus says that. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And who inscription, who, whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We can't trap this guy. He knows what we're up. He's pretty shrewd. Not shrewd. God. See, every year about this time, everyone wants to do a tax protest. I get that. They want to figure out a way not to pay taxes and how to get around it and how to do that. And that the, the, the people are even evading taxes and then they have to pay the penalties involved in that um, because they don't want to pay Caesar what is owed. Now, people in government blame people for finding loopholes in paying taxes when they should look at themselves for writing crummy laws. I'm just making friends with everyone today. Here's the point. If they cut all of, of us open and look at our hearts, whose image would be on it? If you do and the answer is Jesus, then you're walking in his way. You see, I don't know about you, but I have to keep reminding myself that I'm just in control of what God has supplied me. I'm not the owner. We are in a country of laws, and we're grateful for that. And we live under those laws. We're supposed to live under those laws because even though we are not of this world, we are living here. Now, uh, we do what the laws say all the time unless it's against what God says. If all of a sudden there was a law that said I could not have a Bible, guess what? I'm going to break that law. The main question is, are you living the way that says Christ is the motivator and director of my life? Are you living that way? Dumb mistake number six is mistaking control for ownership. 
Friends, all we have is His. He's just entrusted us with those things. Next week, we go to part seven. Don't miss that, because it's going to really be good. And then in part number eight, we're going to wrap the whole thing up. And then we're going to move on to the 101 class that I talked about in the state of the church. So you'll be a part of that, and uh, because that will help us quite a bit in a lot of things. Let's pray. Well, dear Lord, as we leave this place, this time together, I should say, Lord, uh, give us wisdom. Help us to know the difference between what you've given us control over and being owners. Because, Lord, Lord you own it all. And it's important for us to put that in proper perspective and that you're the giver of all things, the blesser of all things, the provider of all things. And so when things come into our lives that appear to try to steal our goods, Lord, help us to understand that you're the one who provides us those things. And we thank you for that. Help us to focus on obedience to you and not the things that have no meaning in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for being here. See you Sunday.